Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Daniel, chapter 12? If you're new to the Bible, Daniel is in the first half of your Bible or the Old Testament. It's one of the major prophets, and so what that means is that it's with a collection of other guys' writings. I got like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. So if you're in that neighborhood, you're in the right place. You just keep working towards the back, and you'll find Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel. And Pastor Phil, he's on vacation this week, so here's a a picture of him and his family in Chicago. And so they're living it up, and uh, they're having a good time. I'm grateful that he's getting some R&R and all of that stuff, and hopefully spending a lot of money on his kids, and that's what vacation is good for, right? And so we're excited for him to be back next week as we wrap up the the, uh, study that we've been doing in Daniel. He's going to wrap up next next week. And so, hey, I don't know if y'all have ever had this happen in your life. Uh, where you uh, where you're trying to sleep in, you know, and uh, then you hear all the stuff outside, like the like the dump trucks they show up and and you hear like the beep beep beep, you know they're backing up, and then the jackhammer starts going, you know, and uh, then and then the concrete saw, you know, and it's like what's going on? Well, th- that happened to me this week, and here's my point of view right here, my POV out of my front. Uh, this is my driveway right here, so I'm standing in my in my dining room and. Um, and these guys are tearing up my driveway. They're digging holes in my driveway. And I'm like telling my wife, I'm like, I need to go out there. And I've got a few questions, you know, like how, how bad is this going to be? You know, are you going to tear up my grass? Because you all know how much money we spend on grass, you know. And uh, how long is it going to take? And then is there anything I need to do, you know? And she was like, whoa, whoa, buddy, before you go out there, remember they sent us a letter about two months ago. And to the, you know, to the city of Lee Summit's defense, they did send me a letter in the mail and they said, hey, we're going to be coming to your neighborhood because uh, we've got to replace the water supply lines. And uh, basically the letter said, hey, trouble is on the way and uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but you'll be glad in the end that all of this happened. And, uh, and, and so, you know, that, that's kind of what took place. This letter came and, we, and they warned us. I kind of just disregarded it and I was a little bit surprised when they showed up. And the reason why I start there this morning is because God has sent us a letter in his word to let us know about the end of all things. And he sent us a letter this morning to let us know that trouble is on the way, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the letter also contains in his word this unchanging truth that God is in control and he's not standing over the edge of heaven kind of, you know, chewing his fingernails going, I, I, hope, it's, I hope it plays out, the, I, hope we, I hope it all going to work out the way, I don't know, I'm nervous. That's not how God is. God is sovereign, he's in control, and the plan that is unfolding in human history is exactly according to what he has designed. That God is in control, and that he sent us a letter ahead of time to let us know trouble is on the way. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled the message, Trouble is on the Way. Trouble is on the way. And I want to answer three questions from Daniel chapter 12 this morning. How long is the trouble going to be? And, and how bad is it going to get? And before we leave this morning, I want to ask, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do in light of all of this? Again, one of the main themes in the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is just a big word that means that God's in control. Like he is the king of all kings. And Daniel is writing this letter about things that have happened in his lifetime where he's going, man, 
If, if anyone had any doubt in their mind whether or not God is in control, I've been through several kingdoms by now, and I've seen God do amazing things in each one of them, and there's no doubt in Daniel's mind whether or not God's in control. And so he wrote some things down to teach us about the sovereignty of God. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Daniel, he's this guy that just has an incredible life story. You talk about a guy that's had to overcome some things. Early on in his life, uh, we could speculate that Daniel's parents were murdered because Daniel was deported from Jerusalem into Babylon. And when he got to Babylon, he was made into a eunuch. And he was made into a eunuch so that he could serve the government. And he was this guy that was, you know, he was a rising star. He was bright, he was brilliant. And then all of these things happened and they basically kidnapped Daniel so that he could serve their, their kingdom. And then Daniel, he's, he's seen incredible things happen in his lifetime and he's a man that remained faithful even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Daniel, if anybody had an excuse of like, I mean, I'm gonna rebel against God because he wasn't there when this happened, Daniel had those excuses. But he's a man that even though he went through difficult things as a teenager, he remained faithful. And we're reading the words of Daniel probably in his 80s where he's writing some things about the end of all time and he's at the end of his life. And here's what he says in Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse one. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Now, anytime you see the word Michael in the Bible, you should kind of perk up because Michael, when it comes to angels, he's an angel. He's kind of a big deal. Jude 9 says that, that Michael is like the mightiest of all angels. In Revelation 12, we read that Michael's the one that's leading like all of the angelic armies against the enemy. And so when we see that Michael's there, it's kind of like, wow, this, we didn't send the JV here. This is the guy. This is the El Capitan of the angels. And so Daniel, he sees Michael stand up and he's just reminded he's the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And here's what he says in verse one. He says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. That God is writing us a letter this morning to let us know that there's gonna be a time of trouble. Now when it comes to trouble, another word of, that we could use is the word tribulation. That God's saying, hey, there's gonna be a tribulation that's gonna come. And, and when it comes to tribulation, God has given a lot of attention to this great tribulation that we're gonna talk about this morning because um, you know, this is a really big deal. God wants us to be warned about this. He wants us to be ready for this. I mean, you put it up against some of the other things that are in the Bible like, uh, like creation. Creation's a big deal. You know, we have a creation story and that God spoke things into existence and they were good. Uh, you put up uh, tribulation up against uh, things like the cross. Man, thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And that we have, we have recollection of the cross in the Bible. It's a really big deal. Uh, you put the tribulation up against things like heaven. You know, in heaven, thank God for heaven and all of the things that we know about heaven. And basically the Bible saying heaven's gonna be amazing, you know? But when you put the tribulation up against the creation account, up against the cross, up against heaven, there's more time given and there's more written about the tribulation than any of those other things. And it's like when Daniel sees that there's a great time of trouble, it's like God's trying to say, hey, I'm wanting, to you, I'm wanting you to understand that there's some trouble on the way. And I'm wanting you to be ready so that you're not surprised when the construction crew of catastrophe shows up in your driveway. I want you to be ready. Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. Well, how bad is it gonna get? You know, when the Bible says trouble, I don't know if, you know, if, if you ever got in trouble growing up and you're like, mom said, mom said, you're in big trouble. And you're like, okay, define, what do you mean by that? You know, does that mean like that when dad gets home trouble or like, we're going to settle this, right? You know, and trouble can be subjective and, and oftentimes what can be trouble for one person may not be that big of a deal for another person. And so when the Bible says that there's trouble coming, initially I just asked the question, okay, well, you know, how bad is this really going to be? Well, note this, it's going to be bad, Okay. Like, like imagine all of the things 
that you know about human history, like all the bad things, you know, like holocausts and, and uh, genocides and, and tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis, I mean, all of the things that we know, all of the stains that are on the pages of human history, and then think about all the things that you're going through. Maybe, maybe you've come in here this morning and, and you're going through a living catastrophe. You're, you're, in, you're in a season of trouble, so to speak. And you think, man, I can't imagine anything being worse than what I'm going through right now. And what the scripture's teaching, what Daniel's seeing is, I saw a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. That what Daniel's saying is like, I, I'm perfectly aware. Daniel didn't grow up naive, y'all. Again, he was deported, made into a eunuch by the time he was 21, all right? He didn't grow up entitled, all right? And so when Daniel says there's a time of trouble coming that I've never even heard about, he's been through some calamity in his life. And it's hard for us to imagine a time darker than some of the times that we've learned about in school. It's hard for us to imagine a time darker than some of the times maybe we brought in here this morning. But the scripture is saying that trouble is on the way and all of the things that we've been through are just a foreshadow of greater trouble to come. Uh, John Lennox, he's a mathematician at Oxford University. He's also one of these guys that's like a famous theologian and philosopher and scientist. He's a brilliant man. And um, I, I love that you can be a brilliant person scholastically and still follow Jesus. And he commented on this verse in chapter 12. He said this about this verse. He, he said, it's hard to, to get one's mind around this grim statement. He said, the time of Antiochus was horrendous. He says, as was the period around the later fall of Jerusalem. So he's looking back through the lens of history. He's like, man, what we know about some of these barbaric times, those were unimaginably horrendous and difficult. Then he even says, the Holocaust beggars description. I guess this is like a smart English way of saying it was unbelievable. The Holocaust was unbelievable is what he's saying. And then he comments, but Daniel indicates that there is even worse to come at the time of the end. So, so what is this tribulation? If you're taking notes, you can write, here's five things about the tribulation that we find from the, from the word of God. The first thing is this. Uh, the first thing is that it's an outpouring of God's wrath. That's why it's a time of trouble. Revelation 16.1 says, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth. That the time of tribulation that we're talking about this morning specifically is a concentrated time of the wrath of God being poured out upon humanity. The second thing we need to know about the tribulation is that it's worse than anything in history. Jesus, he picks up the language from Daniel 12 and he just validates it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. He said this, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. The third thing about the tribulation is that it's not for the church. It's not for the church. First Thessalonians 4, um, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how we're gonna be caught up in the clouds with Christ, that there's, that there's gonna be a rapture before this great tribulation takes place and that God's people are gonna be taken care of. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not destined his people for wrath, but for salvation. And so the, the tribulation, it's not for the church. The fourth thing about the tribulation, it is for Israel. It is for Israel. Israel is God's special people, his chosen people. And in Jeremiah 30, verse seven, it says this, alas, for the day is great, talking about the tribulation, the judgment time, and there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. If you're new to the Bible, uh, when it says something about Jacob, Jacob is in direct reference to God's chosen people, the Israelites. Jacob is like one of the founding fathers of the faith. And he had this wrestling match with God. He got in the octagon, God put him in a submission hole, dislocated his, rib, I mean his, his hip, and then he, he tapped out and then he changed his name. He said, you were Jacob, you're now gonna be Israel. And Israel is the, is the, the, 
is God's people is the name of the person that started the nation of Israel and Jacob, the same person. So it says it is the time of Jacob's distress and he will be saved from it. And notice that, that it doesn't say in Jeremiah that, that he didn't call this is the time of the church's purification. He says this is the time, this tribulation is the time of, of God's chosen people, the Israelites or Jacob's distress. And then the fifth thing about the tribulation is that it is for unbelievers. It is for unbelievers. In Revelation 7 and in a few other places, it says that God is gonna raise up messengers that are gonna take the gospel during the seven-year tribulation and they're gonna preach a message that maybe you've heard before, but here's the, here's the main sermon in the tribulation. Y'all ready? Repent. That's the main sermon. That they're gonna be teaching, like, you need to trust Christ. You need, you need to change the way you're thinking about things and you need to turn your life over to Jesus and this is the sermon that's gonna be preached during the great tribulation. And it tells us that many people will put their faith and trust in Jesus during the seven-year time. That God is gonna redeem many of his chosen people. But then many people will also reject the preaching during this time. And they will endure the wrath of God Almighty. That what we see in the scriptures, we kind of fly through different verses and different passages. We see that God has written a letter and he's given, he's given great links to try to explain to us that trouble is on the way. That it's gonna get worse before it gets better. We skip down to verse five in Daniel chapter 12, and here's what it says. Then I, Daniel, I looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. So he's seen Michael, and now he's seeing two others. And he's talking about angels, one on this riverbank, one on that riverbank. He says in verse six, and one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And he says in verse seven, then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, and he begins to respond to this question. Now let's just pause real quick, because I don't know if you're new to studying the Bible, but oftentimes we'll, we'll read things like that, like a description, like we saw this guy clothed in linen and he's hovering above the waters, and it's important that it repeats it twice. And so like Daniel's not like writing this vision and he's like, oh, I still have more room on the parchment. Let me just say that again, you know? The reason why he's writing it twice is because Daniel is trying to help us understand who is this person that they're asking questions to. And this person that they're asking questions to has already popped up into the letter that Daniel has written, and this person is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is the son of man that we saw earlier in the book of Daniel. And he sees him clothed in linen, and he sees him hovering above the waters of the river. Now, this is an important metaphor that we oftentimes will miss because um, this really isn't as true in our culture, but I think that you can put two and two together with me. In the culture that the Bible was written, when they got around the rivers, or they got around the ocean or the seas, there was this sense of like, that's a cursed place. You know, that's an untamable place. They had heard about big storms. They had heard about river monsters and all the, you know, the big fish that are down there. And they're like, man, you've got to be careful. You don't just go to those waters and it all work out for you all the time. It's unpredictable. And so when somebody is hovering over the waters of the river, what Daniel is saying is that this one, he, he is, he's treading on top of the cursed places. He's on top of the problems of the world. That he sees Jesus, he's clothed in linen because he's pure and white, but then he sees him as God Almighty standing on top of the problems. And I don't know if you've ever been been at, around the, I don't know if you've ever been to the Missouri River. Have y'all been to the Missouri River lately? I, I don't know if you've been, but it's just, it's like, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. Like, you know, you don't let your kids just kind of swim across the Missouri. It'll be a lot of fun. Like, that's not what we do. You know, a few weeks ago, I went to the Missouri River on a kayaking trip with my wife. And uh, we were kayaking on the Missouri. And it was a lot of fun. You know, we're just kayaking and just looking at each other. I love you more, you know, and our kids aren't there. So we're like, we don't have kids, you know, let's, you know, it's just fun, right? And uh, one of my friends had found out that I was gonna be on the river and he has a boat and he decided that he was gonna go out on the river too. 
Now, he had put together some sort of sabotage plan, I think, um, or this just happened. I'm not real sure. But when I saw him, I was like, oh, Blake, Blake, how you doing? You know, and, and he, he steers his boat over there by my kayak. And then one of the guys that was on Blake's boat just jumps off of the, of the boat and just lands on the, my kayak. And now I'm in the river. I was fine when I was in the kayak, right? I was safe. I mean, river was there. I was where I needed to be. But now that I'm in the river, I was like, man, this could not, this could go bad. You know, because there's all sorts of things floating in the river. A lot of those things you've contributed, okay? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, don't drink the water of the Missouri, okay? I've been told. Um, there's also currents where like if I got caught on a log or something, you know, it could pull me down. You know, there was a lot of these unknowns and like I felt out of control and I wanted to get out of the river as quick as possible because it's a dangerous place. And Daniel sees this one standing on top of the dangerous place. And what he's saying is like, this is the guy you want to ask questions to. And I love, I don't know if you caught the scene, but I love that you have this angel on this side, this angel on this side, and they're asking the guy in the middle, how long is this going to be? Because they're looking at the son of God and they're saying, you have the answers, you have the authority, you're reigning supreme, you are in control. Let's talk to that guy about these things because they just heard about this great time of trouble. And, and I love that the angels, they're, they're just asking questions like you and I would, you know, I mean, you'd be asking that question. Well, how, how bad's the trouble going to be? And he's like, it's going to be bad. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, well, how long is it going to last? And I love that they're asking that question, that the angels, they don't know everything. The book of, uh, one of the, the epistles that Peter wrote, he said that the angels, they, they look into the mystery of the gospel, they long to figure it out. And so they're asking Jesus, how long is this going to be? And then Jesus, he says to them in verse seven, he says, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. Uh, this phrase, power of the holy people completely shattered, uh, in the Hebrew, it can literally mean that they let go, uh, they, they, they surrendered. Whatever they were hanging on to, this tribulation came, and they finally tapped out, so to speak. If you're taking notes, you could write this question down, point number two, how long will it last? How long will it last? Again, you get the picture, right? The angels, they're asking Jesus, how long will it last? Jesus raises his right hand, and then the Bible tells us he raises his left hand, and then he solemnly swears by the one that will live forever, this is how long it'll be. Now, in this culture, when you raised your, your right hand, you were like, I'm, I'm really, really sure about this. I'm 99.9% .9 sure. When you raised your left hand and you did like this, you're like, I am 100% positive. And then when you swore by God, you were like, yes, this is how long it's going to be. That Jesus has given absolute clarity and authority. This is how long the great trouble will last. And he says, it's going to be a times, times and a half. Now, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you're, you're like, oh, I've been dying to ask that question. How long will it last? And then, and then the answer is like, it'll be a times, times and a half. And you're like, what does that mean? You know? And sometimes you'll read the Bible and it'll give you the answer. You're like, I, I, I'm missing something, you know? And um, it's, I don't know if, you, if you're, you know, like your, your wife, you know, she's getting ready in the morning, you know, and you're at the third service. Y'all probably had this, this experience happen today that, you know, that, uh, you know, it's like, hey, babe, how much longer? And she's like, times, times and a half, you know? And you're like, she needs more time, kids. She needs more time, you know. We're going to go to the third service today, right? And, uh, and, like it, and like, what does that mean, you know? Well, here's what it means. Upon further study, you find out that a time, it represents a year. So if you're taking notes, you can just write this out. Times, times and a half, that's three and a half years. It's the Bible's way of saying it. it's going to be three and a half years. Now, this is midway through the seven-year period that Daniel has already spoken of that we know is the seven-year tribulation. 
Uh, Pastor Phil, he's already taught us that, key, that, that one of the keys to understanding the book of Daniel is the New Testament book, Revelation. That Revelation is the New Testament commentary on the book of Daniel. That we read one Bible, it's made up of 66 books, but these are books written in different eras and different times, but they speak to one another. It's incredible. Then also Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, he refers to Daniel quite often. And so Matthew chapter 24 and the book of Revelation help us understand some of the things that Daniel is talking about. And it helps us when you hear a, a Bible scholar, a Bible teacher say it's gonna be a seven year tribulation. It's like, well, where, where does that come from? Well, in Daniel chapter 12, we see that it's, there's three and a half years of a great tribulation. And that's lodged within this seven year tribulation that Daniel's already talked about in chapter nine. It said this, just as a reminder, Pastor Phil already covered this, but it says in Daniel 9, verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, if you were here, you remember Pastor Phil taught us that this word week uh, is in the Hebrew uh, of heptad. Y'all remember that? Heptad. Remember Pastor Phil talking about that? Those of y'all that are here, just nod at me like, yeah, but you can look it up. You know what I'm saying? Heptad, heptad, you know? And heptad is a, is a series of seven. You know, it's, uh, like it's, it's equivalent to a dozen. You know, if I have a dozen of something, I have 12 of something. And so the Hebrew word heptad, it's, it, it's a seven. So he's saying that, you know, it could be translated as weak or it could be something else. He says that in Daniel 9, 27, that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or heptad. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice, to sacrifice an offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out of the desolate. So this is done by what, who the Bible calls the Antichrist. That's who Daniel's talking about. It's who Jesus called in Matthew chapter 24, the abomination that causes desolation. It's who John the Revelator called in Revelation 13, the beast. Then in Daniel 9, 27, he's saying that the beast is gonna make a covenant for seven years, but in the middle, the three and a half year mark, there's gonna be a great tribulation when he breaks this peace covenant that he had established early on and puts a stop to the sacrifice. And in Revelation 13, it says that the beast is gonna place an image of himself in the temple and he's gonna say, now y'all worship me instead of what y'all were worshiping. And in Revelation 13, five, it says that this is gonna happen for 42 months. When you do the math, 42 months is three and a half years. So it's easy to see that the total length of time, when you take the 42 months and then you just double it because of what Daniel said, the, the total length of time is 84 months or when you do the math, it's seven years. And the point is this, that God has written a letter to help us understand how long things are gonna last. How bad is it gonna get? How long is it gonna last? And he's letting us know, here's what you need to know, trouble is on the way. That this world is gonna get worse before it gets better. Now, if you're anything like me, you're like, I, I thought this was abundant life church, not abundant warning church, you know? Like, I, I thought this was like a place of hope, like we were singing songs about how great Jesus is, but all you've been telling me is how bad it's gonna get, bro. And like, where's the good news in the midst of the bad news? Well, the good news in the midst of the bad news, the, the, the better that's gonna happen after it gets worse is this. Here's what we're all looking for. If you're new to Christianity, here's what Christians are fired up about right now. Jesus is gonna come back, all right? That's what we're fired up about. And so the good news is that all of this is the precursor to the arrival of Jesus Christ. That Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 and 30, he said this, that immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth are gonna mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. That Jesus will return after this tribulation and the good that's on the other side of the bad is that this is when he establishes his kingdom on earth. This is when, when he establishes his kingdom. Listen, guys, this is when death dissipates. 
This is, this is when cancer, it, it is cured. This is, when, this is when depression dies. This is when anxiety is annulled. This is when there's no more pain, no more fear, no more suffering, no more loss. This is when Christ returns. This is why we're excited about that. And it's gonna get worse, but listen, on the other side of the bad is Jesus establishing his kingdom. Daniel goes on in verse eight, he says this, although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And I love this. I don't know if y'all read the Bible much and, and you think like, like the, the people that wrote the Bible, like sometimes I have in my mind that they're like, you know, having these visions or whatever, they're having these conversations with God, I don't know how it all works, but they're, they're being inspired by the Holy Spirit, I know we know that. And, and sometimes I have in my mind that they're like writing things down, like, oh yeah, and then I saw Jesus do this, and I saw God do this, and, uh, and, then, and then like the, you know, the linen and the guy on the river and, and the times, times and a half, oh, that makes so much sense. Like they're just like, tell me more, God, that makes a lot of sense. Like sometimes I think that the biblical authors are like that, but listen, the, the biblical authors, they're not extraordinary people. They're just ordinary people like you and me. And I love that because we even see it here that Daniel says, you know, I saw all these things. I can't deny what I saw, but, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't understand them. <laughs> and I love that Daniel would give reference to the fact that he doesn't understand some things. And then he begins to pray and says, my Lord, um, could you help a brother out? <laughs> like, I, you know, like, I, like I, I'm, a, I'm pretty sharp. You know, I, I can see the dreams and I, all the stuff. And like, but I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one. And I love that the Bible is gonna say that the Bible is sometimes hard to stay, understand. Like when you read in the New Testament, Peter, he's like this blue collar guy, the fisherman, you know? And there's another New Testament author named Paul and Paul was like an intellect and, and like a lawyer type person. And, and, uh, and so Peter is writing a letter to a group of Christians and he's like, hey, I've heard that you guys were reading the letters of Paul. Good luck. You know, like he just says, like, it's, it's hard to understand. Like, brother, it doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes he'd be talking about all of this stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, but I like it. You know, and so, and I love that the Bible is going to say about the Bible that there are some things that are difficult to understand. And I love that Daniel, he's just saying, man, there's some mysterious things about God. And I'm okay with a God having a little bit of mystery. I'm okay with a God that I can't quite figure out, you know. And Daniel's saying, like, man, there's some things I saw. They're terrible. They're unimaginable. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to write them down. And then I heard these things. And then he said, how much time? And, and I'm going to write those things down. But I'm still, I'm still scratching my head. And I love that Daniel would say that. And then God's response to Daniel when he asked, you know, could you give me more information? God, could you give me more information? He just says this. He says to Daniel, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. God's saying, I've sent a letter ahead of time, Daniel. And I need you to write down these things, but you're not gonna know everything, and I'm gonna need you to trust me. You ever had somebody that, you know, you had some questions in life, you're going through something difficult, and, and they were like, bro, just trust God. And you're like, just trust God. Like, how do you just trust God, you know? What do you mean? How do you even do that, you know? Like, I appreciate the well-meaning advice, and that is solid advice, but how do, how do we trust God? Because I'm going through something difficult. I'm going through something I've never faced before. I'm having to say goodbye to this or I'm having to navigate. I don't, how do you just trust God? And here's how you just trust God. You start by trusting him in the small things. See, trust is like a muscle and it has to be built up over time. And you're not gonna be, be able to be Arnold someday and flex on something, some great situation, this muscle called trusting God if you haven't been faithful to lift the, the small weight, so to speak. That Daniel, he's been faithfully trusting God his whole life, we see. That he trusted God when he got deported into Babylon. He trusted God when he was offered to eat from the king's table and he said, no, that would defile my character. 
He trusted God when his friends were snatched up and they were thrown into the fiery furnace and he thought he was never gonna see them again. He trusted God when he got the death sentence and was thrown into the lion's den. And he trusted God when he was given these great revelations and he had to stand and boldly call out the king of the day. He trusted God. And so when it comes to him being at the end of his life, man, he has a faithful lineage of trusting God. And when God looks at him and says, these are great and terrible things. And I can't give you all the information that you're seeking. You're just gonna have to trust me. And Daniel, by this time, he had developed that muscle. And so he could easily just say, okay, God, you've proven yourself faithful. And I learned to trust you when I was a teenager. And because you've been faithful to me, I'll trust you to this day. I don't know if you ever get something in the mail, like I was saying earlier, you know, I got that letter in the mail and, and like immediately I started having questions, you know, like part of me wanted, wanted to call the company up that's doing this. I'm like, okay, you know, start asking questions. Like imagine if I called, I'm like, hey, I need to talk to your manager and the manager gets on. I'm like, I need to talk to your manager and your boss, you know, start working the ladder, you know. And then I'm like, well, who's, who's the foreman on the job, you know? And they're like, well, it's gonna be this person. I'm like, well, what's their credentials? What's their criteria? And, and, and what time are they gonna arrive? And, and what are they gonna be wearing, by the way? And, you know, I started just asking all these random questions questions, you know, I want all the details and, and uh, eventually they're going to say, sir, 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 we're the professionals. You're just going to have to trust us. And that's going to have to be sufficient. And I think sometimes we'll get into seasons where we have a lot of questions and maybe we'll hear a message like this and we're like, God, I have all of these questions and God's saying, I will help process some of these questions, but there'll probably come a point in time where you're going to have to just understand I'm the professional here. I'm God. I run the universe and I'm doing a pretty good job. You're just gonna have to trust me. You're just gonna have to trust me. That's what Daniel's having to learn here. We pick up in verse 10 and here's what it says. It says, many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. That's key. Verse 11, and from, that, and, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,000 290 days or three and a half years. He's just decoding, if you didn't catch it earlier, the times, times and a half. What is that? What are you, what are you saying? Well, that's going to be 1,290 days. And then he goes on in verse 12 and he says this, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Jesus, he picks up on this language of verse 11 and 12 in Matthew chapter 24, and he literally quotes that the sacrifice, he talks about the abomination of desolation. He uses that language. He's quoting Daniel chapter 12. And then Jesus says something interesting in Matthew chapter 24. He says this, that those who endure to the end will be saved. That those who endure to the end will be saved. That Jesus is trying to ready his people that you're gonna have to have perseverance in this era if you're gonna live in this era. That Daniel, he just simply says that blessed is the person who makes it beyond the 1,290 days. I'm not real sure what the significance of the 1,335 days, what that mark is. Maybe that's when the wedding will be, when we have the marriage supper of the land. I'm not real sure. I don't know what's, or when the coronation, when Jesus, or I'm not real sure what's going on. But there's something that, that he's trying to say, blessed is he who makes it through this great tribulation. And then he says in verse 13, and just reiterate something he already said in verse 9, but you, Daniel, but you, you go your way to the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. He's saying, Daniel, Daniel, you live your life and you know that I'm gonna take care of you. This is what you need to be focused on, Daniel. In light of everything that I've shared with you, here's what you need to do. And Daniel, maybe he's anticipating asking God the question that I would be asking, God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with all this information? 
Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this question down. What, what, what should I be doing? <laughs> I think sometimes we can hear about the end of time and we're like, okay, what does that mean for me? What do I need to be doing? You know, and, and we'll start asking those types of questions. Is there anything that I need to do today to ready me for what's happening tomorrow? Like, what should I be doing with this information? Like, again, I received this letter from the city, and I'm like, okay, now what? Like, what, what do we need to do? And, uh, and so what I did is I read the letter. I tried to understand it as best I could. Obviously, I forgot some of it because I was a little bit surprised when they showed up. My wife reminded me, hey, that's, that was in the letter. It's okay. The, you know, they're here. They, they plan to be here. Don't be surprised. And then, I, and then I talked to my neighbors about everything that was going to be happening. You know, what are y'all going to do? With, you know, where are you going to park? And that sort of thing. And, uh, and then I, I, we just kind of tried to respond accordingly. My wife, God love her, she's doing such a great job with our little girls. I got three little girls. And, and, uh, and when the construction crew showed up this week, they were going to go to Costco. And, and they somehow came to the conclusion that we should make care packets for the construction workers. And so uh, a couple of days ago, they got you know, chips and granola bars and Gatorades. They put them in a little care packet. One of my little girls was you know, writing Bible verses on the little granola bars. And you know, I was like, could you write the verse that says, it is finished? You know? And, uh, and she, she said, no, Dad, no. And she wrote Colossians 3.23, you know, work as unto the Lord. And I, I thought that was so sweet. They went out there and they, you know, they blessed the, the guys that are working on our, on our water lines. And because deep down, man, we're grateful for those guys. We are so grateful. I'm so glad we live in America. I don't know if you've ever traveled where they have to like really work hard for water and then they have like these water lines. And so if I haven't said that, thank you for all of those that are doing whatever those jobs that you do to make our society function. I'm so grateful for you guys. And uh, anyway, so we just, we wanted to respond accordingly. We're like, okay, all of this stuff, what do we need to do. That's the big point. What do we need to do? And maybe you're here and you're going, okay, with, it, with all of this information, what do I need to do spiritually? That's why we're here this morning. Well, here's five things that you need to do in light of what we're learning this morning. The first thing that you need to do is this. You need to trust Christ. You need to trust Christ. Has there been a point in your life where you've trusted Jesus as your only hope for salvation? In verse 1, Daniel tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, that there's going to be a great trouble that's going to come he says, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Your people. Are you God's people? Like on a scale of one to 10, one being I don't know if I'm God's people, 10 being I know I'm God's people, I've trusted Jesus as my only hope for salvation, God is my heavenly father. On a scale of one to 10, where are you at? What number would you give yourself? Would you give yourself a two, a five, a seven, an eight, a 10? If you were to ask my, uh, there you go, thank you. If you were to ask my daughters, that's what they would do. Because my daughters, if you were to ask them, uh, uh, and let me put it this way, if you were to ask my daughters, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, that's your dad, one being, you're not sure that's your dad, what number would you give yourself? And they would cheer just like this lady cheer because they know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm a 10. Now, does that make them a perfect child? No, not at all. I mean, they, they got my, my issues they got to deal with, you know? I mean, no, they, they're not perfect, but they are secure and confident that I am their father. And so it's not wrong for you to cheer and say, I am a 10. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, but that does mean that I'm confident that I have trusted Christ as my only hope for salvation. Have you done that? And man, one of the greatest things that you could do in light of coming to church today is for you to begin to wrestle with whether or not you've truly trusted Christ. Have you been born again, Jesus says? Is there a time in your life where you can look back and say, man, I was headed this way with my life, and then I heard about how Jesus loves me, gave his life for me, and how I needed to admit that I'm a sinner, and I turned from my sin, and I changed how I thought about things, and I embraced the love of God that he lavished upon me. And the way you trust Christ functionally is that you, A, admit that you're a sinner. You, B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave, and you, C, confess him as the Lord of your life. 
And the Bible tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So some of you, you need to trust Christ. The second thing that you need to do in light of, of what we learned this morning is that you need to understand the Bible. You need to understand the Bible. Verse 10, it says that the wise shall understand. And we wanna be a church that's marked by wisdom. <laughs> I don't know if, if your story is anything like mine, but, uh, but here's kind of how my story went. Like I started following Jesus, I trusted Jesus. And then somebody's like, here's a Bible. I'm like, oh, that's a big book. And, uh, and they're like, hey, start with John, you'll figure it out. You know, and then see you later. And I'm like, all right, understand the Bible, understand the Bible, understand the Bible. The only thing I understood were the maps. You know what I'm saying? Like I, and that was still confusing. I'm like, this is in the Middle East. And I had a hard time understanding the Bible. And maybe you're here and, and that's you. You know, you, you just kind of feel like everyone around you just, they know it all, but you don't. And listen, you're not supposed to know it all. And if you're here and there are some things about the Bible that are hard to understand and that you just don't get, and it seems like everyone else gets, listen, that's okay to admit. And we wanna help one another understand the Bible. I'm so glad that Pastor Phil doesn't come up here week in and week out and say, you know, I had some thoughts this week. You know, as I was mowing my grass, as I was watching the news, I had some thoughts I wanted to share with you this week. No, Pastor Phil comes up here and by God's grace, I come up here and I say, if you have a copy of God's word, open it up because we're gonna look at what God has to say. We're not trying to understand what I think or trying to understand what I feel or trying to understand what psychology's saying or pop culture's saying or whatever it is. We wanna understand what the Bible has to say. We, we wanna be submitted to the word of God. But, but maybe you, you have a hard time doing that. So the way this looks in my life functionally is, is when I started trying to understand the Bible, I needed help. And so I met a guy named Terry, and Terry was doing a, a deal called, he was just calling it Bible study. And I was like, okay, makes sense, Bible study. And, uh, and it was at his house. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna come over to your house. And I was, I was hesitant at first, but then he said, hey, I'm making lasagna this week. I said, I love Bible study. I love studying the Bible. What time, you know? And so I show up, and we open up the Word of God, and this older man started teaching me how to understand the Bible. And if you've never had a relationship like that, it's what the Bible calls discipleship. And we wanna give you an opportunity to do that. So maybe one of the things that you need to do as a result of coming here this morning is that you need to sign up for discipleship. You can go to our website right there, livingproof.co slash connect and sign up to be discipled. Some of you have been through our discipleship program called Directions and we simply just call that D1. Well, we also have a thing called D2 or Discipleship 2. And you can sign up for that right here. And Discipleship 2 is a, is a way for you to continue to grow deeper in your understanding of God's word. We wanna be a church that is strong spiritually and we cannot be a church that is strong spiritually if we aren't strong scripturally. That the way that we know God's will is by understanding God's word. And the way that we know about how things are playing out in the world is that we seek to understand the Bible. And so what do you need to do? You need to trust Christ. You need to understand the Bible. The third thing you need to do is that you need to purify yourself. Purify yourself. In verse 10, it says this, that many shall be purified. First John 3, 3 says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Uh, this language of purifying, it's this idea that you're getting yourself ready for the return of Christ. Um, it, it's this like, uh, I don't, guys, I don't know if your, uh, your experience was anything like mine, but when, when it came time for me to get married, it was like, hey man, just shave and put on deodorant, all right? And that's like the bare minimum, and I kind of just did that. And I remember I showed up to the church like at three o'clock that day, and I'm eating some, you know, some Mexican food and just kind of taking it easy, and, and it was just kind of real easy up until the wedding, and that wasn't my wife's experience, you know? You know, she's getting her hair done, she's getting her nails done, she's getting her makeup done, she's getting everything done did, you know? And she's, I mean, that started early, and it was this big fiasco, and she, she was readying herself 
And the Bible says that we should be readying ourselves like a bride readies herself for a wedding. What does it look like for you to purify yourself? What are the things in your life that are inconsistent with the character of Christ that need to change? What about the things you're watching, the things that you're listening to? What about the things you need to start doing? That one of the things that we can do to ready ourselves for the return of Christ is to purify ourselves. School's about to start back. I don't know if you're a teenager here or a student and, or if you're a teacher, you just kind of got a twitch going on this time of year, you know. School's about to start back. And, and listen, here's what I know about this time of year, that this is a difficult time of year to be a person of character. Uh, one of the things that we've done with the artwork in the series is that we've said, hey, we want to be this person. That this is Daniel. This is a person who is, is separate from the pack. This is a person who is not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but it's being transformed by the renewing of their mind. That they are a person of character even when the current of society is going against them. And I want to call you to purify yourself so that you can be set apart for the glory of God. The fourth thing that we need to do in order to respond to what we've heard this morning is that we need to find our one. Find your one. In verse three, Daniel said this, that those who turn many to righteousness, they shine like the stars forever and ever. That a couple of years ago, we said, hey, we want our church body to be mobilized to share the gospel with people. And if you think that it's my job or Pastor Phil's job to save the world, you are wrong. If you're a follower in Christ, the birthright of the believer is boldness to go fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And that is your role and my role alike. That Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll make the pastors fishers of men. He wants us all to leverage our relationships to find people who are far from him and be willing to share the story of how Jesus has changed our life and how he can change their life too. Do you know how to do that? We want you to find your one. We want you to share the gospel in the hopes that they would come to know Christ and that you would be able to baptize them and disciple them and that you would be able to live out the great commission of making disciples of all nations. We want you to trust Christ. We want you to understand the Bible, purify yourself, find your one, and fifth and finally, five things that you should be doing. Take your next step. Take your next step. Daniel's told twice in verse nine and then in verse 13, he's just told to go on your way. Go on your way. It's the Hebrew word, yalak. Yalak. I don't know if you ever had somebody like, you're all worried about something. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And they're like, hey, relax. I just think God just looks at Daniel. Daniel's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And God's like, yalak. Yalak. You know, that's yalak. It's okay. Yalak. That many of you, as a result of you hearing the message this morning, you need to just yalak. Because you're already seeking to trust Christ. You're already seeking to understand the Bible. You're already seeking to purify yourself. You're already seeking to find your one. And you just need to keep headed in the same direction. And so when you hear a message like what we've heard today, you need to be encouraged to keep getting it done. And you just need to lack. Others of you, you need to repent. The, the next step that you need to take is on a different path altogether that you need to trust Christ, some of you. Some of you, you need to make a commitment to understand the Bible. Some of you, you need to make a commitment to take your next step to purify yourself. And yet others of you need to make a commitment to take your next step to find your one. What do you need to do as a result of hearing God's word this morning? God has sent us a letter ahead of time to let us know that trouble is on the way. How bad is the trouble gonna be? Worse than you can imagine. How long is it gonna last? Three and a half years. What do I need to do? You need to trust Christ. You need to understand the Bible. Purify yourself. Find your one. 
and take your next step. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a few questions and then give us a chance to respond this morning before we dismiss. The first question is this. Have you trusted Christ? Has there been a point in your life where you've turned from your sin, admitted that you were a sinner, believed that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, confessed him as Lord? If you haven't, man, today's the day. I don't know why we have to beg people to go to heaven. It's a really good deal, man. Your sin for his righteousness. Let's go. If you haven't done that, man, let's settle that today. If you're not a 10, absolute confident that if you were to die today, you would spend forever in eternity with Christ. Man, let's do that today. Do you understand the Bible? Question number two, do you understand the Bible? When you read it, is it does it feel like you're reading the Greek manuscript? Or when you read it, do you feel like God is speaking to you? If you don't know how to understand the Bible, take your next step. Help, let us help you get discipled so that you can learn the greatest, best-selling book, Word of God. Question number three, how's your purity? Are there things you're looking at, people you're following on TikTok, people you're following on Instagram, shows you're watching, things you're listening to that would cause you to blush in the presence of Jesus? If so, it's not worth it. Ready yourself. Question number four, is there someone in your life that you need to share the gospel with? <laughs> You've been dodging it. They just moved in next door. Or they just joined the cubicle next door. You're back in the office now. You ain't seen them in a while in person. And you're like, oh, I, need, I need to share with them the, the most important thing in my life. But you just haven't worked up the courage to do so. Maybe you need to do that. What's the next step that you need to take? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for my friends making the decision to come and listen to your word be preached today and to worship you in song and, and in conversation and in so many other ways. God, I just thank you for your word, how it tells us trouble is on the way. But God, I thank you that what overshadows and the thing that has turned up loud in my heart and in my mind is that you are returning. And God, we thank you that you're not just saying trouble's on the way, it's gonna get worse, but you're saying it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And that the conclusion in the end is better, is heaven. And so God, I pray that that would be a reality that people are longing for and hoping for today. God, help us to be faithful to take our next step and honor you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Hey, would you give the Lord a hand? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.